Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Friday, June 7th, 2019, broadcasting from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownusa.com. On today's show, I will react to the Bruins losing Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final last night on Thursday night. Do they still have a shot? Do the Bruins still have a shot? To win two straight, to go into St. Louis in Game 6, win that, force a Game 7 back at home, and win that next Wednesday and still win a cup. Do the Bruins have a shot to win the Stanley Cup? I will share my thoughts on that. Also, I have some thoughts on the NBA Finals, which sees Toronto up two games to one on Golden State. Toronto winning that Game 3 the other night. Game 4 will be tonight on this Friday night in Golden State. And there is some injury news on the Golden State Warriors front. I will get to that. In Major League Baseball, the two big free agent pitches, Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, that's right, free agent pitches. We still had two guys who were free agents. And big names, too. They weren't just any old schmucks in the league. Craig Kimbrell uh, can still be an elite reliever. An elite relief pitcher, in my opinion. Well, he signed with a team. And Dallas Keuchel, a guy who, you know, in the past is... You know, we, we talk about this guy in the Cy Young conversation. So, Dallas Keuchel was a free agent. He is now signed with a team. So, Kimbrel, Keuchel, they have new teams. I'll tell you where they're going to play this season. And I'll tell you how much they signed for. And there's some NFL news today. The Patriots have received their Super Bowl rings. They had a party last night on Thursday night at Robert Kraft's house, and there are a couple interesting details to those championship rings. I will give you those details. And there's an NFL quarterback who just got paid. I'll tell you who that is and the money that he got and more. All of it today presented by DraftKings. Play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C. Why suffer through boredom with your fantasy baseball league having the same team every single day with the same lineup every night, and if you think you have a chance to win, you're not going to see your cash prize until October. Well, you need to transfer all that negative energy to some positive energy and bring it over to Daily Fantasy Baseball at DraftKings. Put together a different lineup every single night with a chance to win cash prizes every single night, and you can play for free. With your first deposit by signing up using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. Welcome to the show on this Friday, June 7th. Uh, usually the schedule is Mondays and Thursdays, but because the Bruins and the Blues had such a big game last night on Thursday night, I figured, why not wait until Friday to give you the show? Now, I did give you a YouTube live stream yesterday on Thursday, testing out some equipment. Uh, a new project, I guess you could call it, an extension of this show. And nothing with this show on Podcast One is going to change. Also on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are available, you can get this show. That This isn't going to change. It's just I'm, I'm adding a little extra to it. And it's going to be in the form of a YouTube live stream. So make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel right now, youtube.com slash Danny Picard, 
this show is not live streaming right now, but and and the Monday and Thursday shows are not going to live stream. I'm going to throw a show at you. I think every week, probably on Tuesdays. It's looking like probably on Tuesdays, um, Tuesday afternoon, uh, maybe in the morning. We'll see. We, we might even mix it up. I I don't know exactly what the schedule is going to be, but I think once a week a YouTube live stream. We'll call it the Danny Picard Show Live, but I think the the interesting part of that live stream is we're working on incorporating live phone calls. So you'll be able to call into the show and give you a take. And uh, we will be having a call screener, screen your calls. So um, in case you're wondering how that's going to work. Uh, but it's all being worked out. And yesterday on Thursday, I did give you a YouTube live stream test run in which I gave you some thoughts on the Bruins, on the NBA Finals. But let's make it official and do it right now because I did wait until Friday for this podcast to see what happened in Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final between the Bruins and the Blues. And by now you know what happened. The St. Louis Blues won Game 5 at the TD Garden. They won the game 2-1. to one. St. Louis now has a three games to two series lead in this Stanley Cup final. Game six is going to be Sunday night with the travel day. They're going to get two days off, and the Cup will be in the building in St. Louis on Sunday night. But for the Bruins, it's in the building for all the wrong reasons. It's in the building for St. Louis to win. And, I mean, if St. Louis wins that Cup, my heart will my heart will literally break for David Backus. It will it will literally break for David Backus, who was up on the ninth floor last night in Game Five. Um, uh, look, before we look ahead at the rest of this series, let's look back at Game Five. The story going in was would Zdeno Chara play, and as we saw, Zdeno Chara did play. You know, he he suffered the the jaw injury, whether it was broken or not. In Game 4, at the end of Game 4, he took a shot that deflected up into his face. He didn't play the rest of that game. He sat on the bench with a a full face shield on, but he did not play the rest of that game. It was just strictly moral support, I guess, to to see the big captain sitting there next to you, knowing he's got your back some way, somehow, just not on the ice. But, okay, I get it. If you can't play... You want to sit on the bench? I'm fine with it. But we were wondering, would he play in this Game 5 at the TD Garden with the series tied at 2, which what felt like going in, you know, knowing that Game 6 is in St. Louis, you know, a must-win situation for the Bruins, in my opinion. And it kind of felt like a Game 7. And I, I think that's why Chara played in the game. Chara played in the game. He had the uh, the, the chin strap on, right? The, the iTech full shield. It's just the... You know, the, the shield pot was cut out, and it was just the, the long chin strap, I think, right? Like the, the, It was open in, in the front, and it just had the chin strap. Either way, he played. And I, you know, I was expecting him maybe to miss one and come back in game six. So the fact that he played, it gets the boys fired up. And um, you look at his minutes, seven, just under 17 minutes, which is about four minutes left in his average minutes per game, time on ice in these playoffs. He, he plays around 
in these playoffs, he's played around 21 minutes a game. He played just under 17 minutes in this Game 5 loss last night. But really, you know, after the emotional, the initial emotional boost that gives you, Chara's... I mean, Chara really, it was kind of a non-factor, right? It ended up being a non-factor. The story everyone's talking about today is the trip seen around the world. Unless, of course, you're an NHL ref. They, they apparently didn't see this trip, even though it was right in front of them. Nolachari tripped up at the half wall midway through the third period. It was a one nothing game at the time. St. Louis had a one nothing lead. Again, midway through the third, Achari is tripped up. It's a blatant trip right in front of the ref. I mean... He might as well, they might as well have taken the ref out with the trip. It was so close to him. It was right there. I think even St. Louis thought it was a penalty. Everybody on the ice thought it was going to be a penalty. Everybody in the building thought it was going to be a penalty. Everybody watching that game, whether you were a Bruins or a Blues fan, thought that was going to be and, and thought it should have been a penalty. They did not blow the whistle. They did not call it a penalty. As a result, it seemed like everybody in the play sort of stopped except for David Perron, and, and Perron just walked around everybody, took a shot. I think it, what, it got blocked by Krug, and then Perron got his own rebound, but it really, wasn't really a rebound, I don't think, and just kind of threw it on that. It, it hits Tuka's right pad, squeezes through his legs at an awkward angle, goes in, the Blues take a 2 nothing lead, but everybody's standing around going, looking at the ref, saying, why didn't you call it? Why didn't you blow the whistle? Why didn't you call a penalty? He clearly tripped him. He hacked his legs out from under him. It was not a dive. Why didn't you blow the whistle? Why didn't you do it? Yeah, look, I think when you get into these moments, when the stakes are so high, I mean, I, it, look, it's got to be tough to be a ref. I'm, I don't like refs, okay? I don't. If you listen to my show, I don't like refs. Now, I have a, I have a couple friends who are hockey refs uh, at, the, at the college level. And, you know, we give them shit all the time. And I, yeah, I enjoy listening to their take on this stuff because it's a unique perspective. I, I mean, when, when it comes to pro sports, though, umpires, refs, if you've listened to me before, you know I don't like them. I don't like them at all. I don't like talking about them. I don't like when they factor into a game, positive or negative. I don't like refs. But sometimes I do like to put myself in their shoes especially in moments like this, like the Stanley Cup, like so much at stake, end of a game, one goal game. I think that I think human nature is eat the whistle, right? It's like eat the whistle unless it's blatant. Well, the problem in that moment last night is Nolachari's taken down to the ice is that it was pretty blatant. Now you can go back and forth with the with what the coaches have been saying about the refs and, and what St. Louis's coaches said and complain about the refs and what Bruce Cassidy has responded with and some people saying the Bruins dive. I've seen some St. Louis Blues dive. I mean, I, I've seen so many players dive and try to get a call in hockey at all levels all the time that I, have a, I really have a tough time even getting into the whole diving thing. But I, I, don't, I don't criticize... And I don't praise. I'm just like, it happens. Guys try to get a call. Did that ref think Nola Chari last night was just trying to get a call? I mean, it, it looked, maybe in real time, that looks like a dive because it was such a tough spill. <laughs> it was, but, but if that was a dive, I mean, that would have been a fucking dive if that was a dive. 
it wasn't a dive. It was clear cut, like, hack the legs out, you know, ass over tea kettle. Achari hits the ice hard. As if somebody gave him a, as if Diesel gave him a powerbomb in WWF. There's an old school WWF reference for you, right? A Matt Taven, if he's listening, Ring of Honor World Champ. I'd say, you know, Matt Taven hit you with a, hit him with a powerbomb. Matt will enjoy that one. Um, but anyways, Achari hits the ice and it should have been a trip and the play should have stopped and the Bruins should have had a power play. Perone shouldn't have scored. It should have been a one nothing game. Now, what would have happened on that power play? I don't know. But the whistle wasn't blown. The penalty wasn't called. Perone walked in, takes a shot, gets a loose puck, throws it on net, hits Rath's leg, it goes in, 2 nothing St. Louis. The Bruins later score. The Bruins later get a goal. And they cut it down to 2-1 to one late in this game. And the goal's from Jake DeBrusque. But, I mean, DeBrusque could be blamed for the first goal. DeBrusque could be blamed for the first goal in this one. In the opening, in the opening minute of the second period. You got McAvoy and Chara both going behind the net after a guy, after a puck that's dumped in. And that's DeBrusque's man. DeBrusque does not pick up his man. He's snoozing flat-footed on, on O'Reilly. O'Reilly gets a pass and puts it upstairs. That's on, I mean, you don't, it was tough to watch both McAvoy and Shara skating behind the net like that, but I think it was such a weird bounce, and a tri- I'm not going to put that on them. That's, DeBrusque needs to know that situation defensively and pick up his man. He's flat-footed, he watches O'Reilly walk in, catches a pass and puts it upstairs. So, I, I, I guess, you know, DeBrusque makes up for that. And, and gets a goal. But it was, it ended up being too little too late. The Bruins lose 2-1. And now St. Louis is a 3-2 series lead. Everybody's talking about the trip scene around the world. Again, unless you're an NHL ref that was on the ice that night. On the ice last night. Um, Here's what I'll tell you. As much as I don't like refs. As much as I think that should have been a penalty call. No question about it. That should have been a penalty call. I have a tough time sitting here today. Knowing what I watched, knowing what I'm still waiting to see out of a couple guys on the Bruins, Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand, to name a few, and I'm going to get to them in a minute. But knowing what I've seen the last two games now that the Bruins have lost, and especially knowing what I watched in Game 5 at the Garden with the Bruins at home, I have a tough time today sitting here telling you that the St. Louis Blues are one win away from the Stanley Cup because of the refs. I have a tough time saying that to you today. So much so that I'm not going to say that to you because I don't think... I think the second goal, even after the trip, even after you take Achari out of that play, literally chop his legs out from under him and take him out of the play, even after that play, that goal could have been prevented multiple times. Corrali and Nordstrom. Look, you got to play to the whistle. You, I don't care if... I don't care if Achari's head got cut off his shoulders. You finish until the whistle. The Stanley Cup's on the line. You're in your own building. It's a one nothing game. David Krejci already saved your ass with a beautiful save, which, by the way, I didn't hear anybody reference Michael Ryder in 2011. I didn't, they didn't reference that once, unless I missed it. I wanted to see video of Ryder. Did I miss the Michael Ryder video? 
Michael Ryder made a save, glove save, saving Timmy Thomas's ass in 2011. I mean, that was one of those DVD, championship DVD moments. David Krejci is hoping that his save, what was it, late in the second period, is going to go on the championship DVD. So Krejci keeps it a one-goal game by making a save with his chest, with his shoulder. And, uh... You get midway through the third, you got the situation where it should have been a penalty, but they didn't blow the whistle, so you got to keep playing. Corrali just lets Perone walk by him, and so does Nordstrom. Now, they they both hang Tory Krug out to dry. Tory Krug can't do it, and then all of a sudden it's a two-on-one. I don't care if there's a player, I don't care if Achari got thrown into the fifth row of the fucking stands and it was a five-on-four. In that moment, as Perone is walking that puck around the ice, what are you doing defensively? Like... The Stanley Cup is on the line, and you got your head up your ass because you're complaining about the officials. Forget about the officials. Forget about the trip. Make a play. Corrali just lets Perron walk right by him and hands him off to Nordstrom. Nordstrom's Nordstrom's like, I don't want any fucking part of this. (laughs) And Krug's like, what the fuck are you two idiots doing? How am I going to play this? And then, on top of it, and look, it's tough. Tuka Rask has been awesome, right? He's been awesome. But you can't let that go in. You, it, like, you're to the point now. It's a one-goal game. Krejci saved your ass. You're at home. It's a third period. It's one nothing. Let's go, let's go, let's go. All right, a couple calls didn't go your way. If they're going to score, you, you, know, you better make them earn it. David Perrone didn't earn that. The Bruins let him walk right by him, and then Perrone just kind of threw it on that. And I know Tuca was in an awkward spot because the first shot got batted down, and 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 Tuca was you know kind of all over the place at that moment. But man, I don't even think that was a shot. Perrone was passing it across the the top of the crease. He was passing it through the slot, and it hit Tuca's pad and slides through him. It just I watched that play a hundred times this morning on repeat. And every single time, I, I, Corrali just lets him walk, but just, I don't know what he's doing. He just stops skating. He stops skating after him. Nordstrom's like, I, what, what are we, what sport are we playing? Hockey? Like, these things cannot happen. You know what that play reminded me of? It reminded me of a couple of the goals the Blackhawks scored against the Bruins in their game five in Chicago in 2013, in which defensively you had guys with their heads up their asses. This is what this game reminded me of. And if you're going to play like that, well, you're not going to win the Stanley Cup. It's it's just not going to happen. So we could sit here and, and we could do that. We could play this game for the next two days. Oh, the officials suck. They should have called the penalty, this, that, the other thing. Sure, you're right. They should have. But you know what else should have happened after they didn't call the penalty? Corrali should have stayed with Perron or Nordstrom should have stepped up and did something. I mean, you know, it, it was just so, it's so infuriating for me to watch that play develop. It's like Perron's like, oh, you guys don't want to play anymore? I'll take the Stanley Cup. Like, what happened? Come on. Come on, boys. Can't happen. And it did. Even the first goal can't happen. DeBrusque snoozing, flat-footed. Oh, Ryan O'Reilly? Oh, cover him? 
Both defensemen behind the net? What should I do? Sorry. I, I No excuse there. You just stand, head up your ass, flat-footed. Can't happen. Can't happen. And now the Stanley Cup's in the building in St. Louis on Sunday night for all the wrong reasons, and the Blues could hoist it. And my heart will break for David Backus. Poor fucking guy. If that happens. Will it happen? Would I put my money on that happening? Well, I guess you're going to have to tell me what Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand are going to be doing that night. Because, <laughs> like, I, there was a, I don't know, someone's going to have to hit me up on Twitter, at Danny Picard. I don't, I can't tweet, I can't go on Twitter during these high, I can't, during these high intensity, I, I can't do it. I am a stress case during these games. Um, you know, if you've ever watched me watch the Super Bowl, if you've ever been with me watching the Super Bowl, you know that, you know, it's borderline call 911, you know, at some, at some point during that game. Uh, now imagine the Stanley Cup on the line, the greatest trophy in sports. The trophy that I'm obsessed with. The trophy that I actually never, you know, I never thought I'd see the day the Bruins would hoist it, and they did in 2011. And since they hoisted that cup in 2011, you kind of become obsessed with that image of the black and gold and the spoke B hoisting that cup. It is such a beautiful picture. And you know what? As much as I wanted them to win that at home in 2011, I love those white jerseys so much better. And it, that's just a special picture, like cover of Sports Illustrated, Tim Thomas, you know, Chara. I'm like, what, a, what an image. I'm obsessed with that image, though. I'm obsessed with it. I want it again. So I'm watching this game, and I can't go on Twitter. I just, I can't. Twitter gets me so pissed off anyways. I'm in no I am in no emotional state to be going on Twitter watching idiots tweet stupid shit. I'm just in no emotional state to do that. Sorry. So I don't know what people are saying about this. But I, I texted a couple of buddies and and <laughs> I think everybody was so wrapped up in the game, maybe nobody saw it but me, because I'm a psychopath and I was rewinding and I wanted to see what was going on. Bergeron and Mashan, they've been no good. They've combined for only two goals in this series. And one of them was an empty netter from Marchand in game one, which was an important goal. I'm not, that was an important goal. I've, I said that after game one. I'll say it again. It was an important goal. But for the most part, Marchand, Bergeron have been no shows. Okay? And that can't happen. And they were no good again last night. I was shocked today, though, to see that. They actually played over 20 minutes. They got over 20 minutes of ice time. I didn't think they would. Bergeron got over 20 minutes of ice time. Machin got over 22 minutes of ice time. That's the most minutes they've had in a game in this series. And I'm shocked to see that because in the third period, and again, you guys are going to have to help me out with this one if I'm right or not. But I'm, I watched it. I rewound it. In the third period... Five minutes in, with like 15 minutes left, from that point on, 
to like eight and a half minutes left. I didn't see Marciano Bergeron on the ice. I didn't. Th- I, I, did they get benched? Are they hurt? Is it a little of both? I didn't see them on the ice for like a six, seven minute span. Cassidy was rolling two lines and the lines were all crazy. They were all crazy. But he was only rolling two. And I didn't, Bergeron and Marchand, I mean, look, I, they gotta be hurt, right? They gotta be hurt. They've gotta be hurt. There's, there's no explanation for this. No explanation. And, and I'm, I'm actually saying this literally. They were not on the ice in the third period with like 15 minutes left to like eight and a half minutes left. I think they, they got a power play and, and Bergeron came out for a faceoff. Or something. Like, I rewound it. And, like, I didn't see... They literally were not on the ice. I don't know if they got benched. So, I was shocked to see that they played 20, 22 minutes. Shocked to see that. Because <clears throat> I, I, I didn't see them. So, um... You know, they have to step up their game. It, it's, they, you don't need me to tell you that. I mean, everybody knows. Everybody's watching. I'm just wondering if they're... Re- I'm wondering if they're so hurt that there's... That even Bruce Cassidy is like, shit. Is it even worth putting them on the ice in the third period at this point? Knowing how banged up they are after battling for the first two periods? Like, I'm wondering if that's what's going through Cassidy's mind. Because that's a tough decision, man. Like, that's a tough decision. I, I But I don't think there's... I just feel like there's no other explanation than Bergeron and Marchand are really hurt. They're both hurt badly. That has to be it. Because it's tough to watch. And sometimes they are out there and, and you watch a game in the series and you're like, did they play at all? Like, with those two guys, it can't be like that. It just can't. So, do the Bruins have a shot? Well, you're going to have to tell me what Bergeron and Marchand are going to be. And you know what? If I had to put my money on it, I think that they're gonna bu- I think they're going to bounce back. I do. I think they're going to bounce back. I think they're going to have a solid game on the road in St. Louis. But um, here's what I think needs to change. And, and, and I know that, you know, you talk about the, the o- O'Reilly goal in the second period, in the opening minute. I don't know what happened at the end of the first intermission, at the first intermission. I don't know what I don't I don't know what went down in that Bruins room, but whatever went down in the Bruins room in that first intermission last night on Thursday night, they need to do something different there, <laughs> because whatever they did didn't work. And in fact, it, whatever happened in there, if you told me there was a fight in the Bruins locker room in the Bruins dressing room at the first intermission last night, the way they played in the second period, I would have told you, yeah, there is. Yeah, there must have been a fight or something. Like that was bad. Tough to watch. I, you know, so all these things, like, tough to blame the officials, man. It is. It's tough for me to sit here and do it. It's tough for me. To, should that have been a penalty call? Should the play have stopped? Yeah. But you know what? If you call that penalty, you know, the way the, the way the Bruins, the way that game was going, maybe they wouldn't have scored in the power play. And it would have been one nothing. And you don't know. Maybe DeBrusque, you know, maybe then St. Louis doesn't, you know, with a 2 nothing lead, maybe they let up a little bit more. And, and DeBrusque was able to score and come in there. Um, you know, there was one play that pissed me off. And I know, you know, people talking about, oh, the Bruins, you know, just shoot it, just shoot it, just shoot it. By the way, 
this is maybe a little side note tangent. Why do people get upset when when people yell, shoot it, shoot the puck? Why do you get upset with that? Like, why does that make you angry? It's not like you're telling them to do something that's not part of the game. Right? It's not. It's not like you're saying, throw the puck. You're saying, shoot the puck. Why do people get upset with that? You're like, oh, they're NHL players. They know what to do. Okay, so should we just not watch? They're NHL players and we're not. So should we just not watch? And we should just trust everything that they do is right. Why can't I yell, shoot the puck? I will yell, shoot the puck. And you will do nothing. You will never stop me. It's the same as yelling, pass the puck. Which is what I was trying to yell to Charlie McAvoy at a crucial moment in a two-on-one as a St. Louis Blues player was diving down on the ice late in this game last night. And I think it was crazy. There was a moment where the Bruins had like three straight two-on-ones late in this game. And there was a big turnover in the neutral zone. Uh, McAvoy on the right side came down with Krejci two-on-one. St. Louis Blues defenseman dove down with his feet closest to the net. And he stopped sliding. And McAvoy, all he had to do was just slide it across the, the slot. I think it was Krejci. That's all he had to do. It was. It would have been the most simple goal I've ever seen in, in hockey history. And he shot the puck. And I, I, I was yelling in that moment, pass the puck. Pass it. In that moment, pass it. Sechini, I thought it would, oh man. That, that would have been a goal. No question, that would have been a goal. Um, But why do people get mad when you say shoot the puck? Say pass the puck. Put a body on him. Finish your check. I mean, you, you, these are things you yell during a game. I have no problem if you yell shoot the puck. People, you know, when people, you know, all the fans in, a, in, a, in an arena yell shoot the puck. People get mad at them for saying that. Why? Why are you getting mad at someone saying something that he's probably right about? This guy probably should shoot the puck in that moment. He can't say that? Oh, Come on, you know, it's just, somebody says something on Twitter and and it's like everybody, you know, joins in. It's like, oh, this person's right. We shouldn't yell, shoot the puck. What are you, an idiot? Let the players play. Shut up. Shoot the puck, pass the puck, finish your hit, do whatever, yell whatever you want. McAvoy should have passed the puck in that moment, if you remember that play. Anyways. Anyways, look, if they called the penalty on a charity, if they called the penalty... With a Chari fallen, and the Bruins got a power play, and it was one nothing. I don't know the Bruins would have scored, and if it's one nothing the rest of that period, from the midway point on, if St. Louis doesn't have a two goal cushion, then maybe they maybe they tighten up defensively, and maybe they end up getting an empty netter, and maybe the Bruins still lose the game. It, it, it's I get it because it happened with a goal coming right after. I think the re- the initial reaction from everybody is they should have called that a penalty and it shouldn't have been a goal. Well, you know what? Even after they didn't call the penalty, I've watched it a hundred times. The Bruins just gave up on that play. Corrali, Nordstrom, I don't know what they were doing. They let Perone w- literally take the puck from the left point, walk it up the high slot, walk down to the right circle on the opposite side of the ice, take a shot, get the puck on his own again, and then put it in with an awkward angle. Like, the Bruins just let him score after. And that's inexcusable. I don't care what the ref did or didn't do in that moment and what you think the ref did or didn't do is right or wrong. The Bruins, after they didn't call the penalty, the Bruins fucked up. 
They could have prevented that goal still. And they didn't. And because of it, they could lose the Stanley Cup in St. Louis on Sunday night. Will they? My money is on this thing coming back to Boston. That's my that's my bet. I think the Bruins, I think Marshan Bergeron show. If it gets to game seven, I don't know what happens. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen because I've seen St. Louis now win a couple times in this building. And, um, y- you know, I, I know the Bruins are banged up. I, I just, I my prediction right now is that, let's see how game six goes. My prediction is this is going seven. We will see a game seven on Wednesday night back here in Boston at the TD Garden. And, um, you know, I think it comes, it, it's Bergeron, Marchand, What's up, boys? Where are you? You know, I, I'm thinking the only explanation to that is that they are really hurt. And I think late in games, maybe that puts Cassidy in a tough spot knowing that. <sighs> knowing that. I don't, you know, we're trying to figure that out. That That's a, that's a head-scratcher, the way those two are not producing. Like, we know they're capable of. Like, we know this team kind of relies on them to do. I mean, the bottom six forwards have, 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 have done as much as they, if not more than they've been asked to do. And 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 so it's time for the big dogs to step it up. I know Krejci's not putting the puck in the net. And at times it's just been a no-show as well. But hey, he did come up defensively with that huge save. With that huge save. If he didn't, then we're talking about the Perron goal being, you know, putting them up 3 nothing. And, and and then, and then what? You know, what's the conversation then? So, you know, Bergeron Marchand comes down to them. I think they'll step it up in game six. I think the Bruins will force a game seven. There will be a hearing. Uh, Babashev will have a hearing. St. Louis is Babashev. He did hit Johansson with a with a hit that, you know, I'll say the same thing, like, Shoulder to the head. You want to eliminate it? Give it a one-game suspension. I think he gets again. I do. I think he gets again. But we'll have to we'll have to see what happens. Grizzly, keep an eye on him. I think they, you know, I think they miss him. I do. I think they miss the the puck moving aspect. I really do. But uh, we'll see what happen with, happens with Grizzly and the Bruins moving forward. Game six. Sunday night, whatever happens, I will be back on Monday to react to it all. And uh, I don't think I'll be reacting to St. Louis hoisting the cup. I think I'll be reacting to a Bruins win and previewing a Game 7 next Wednesday night at the TD Garden. But it's not just the Stanley Cup final that's going on. It's the NBA Finals as well. And in the NBA Finals, Toronto leads Golden State two games to one. Toronto won Game 3. Now, in that Game 3... Steph Curry was just, you know, on another planet. 47 points for Steph Curry. He did not have Kevin Durant again. He did not have Klay Thompson this time. Klay Thompson with a hamstring injury. He suffered at the end of game two. Thompson did not play. Now, Golden State, they're at home. They're down 2-1. Game four is tonight. On this Friday night, Golden State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite, and I think some of that has to do with not just being at home, but also because Klay Thompson, they're saying, will play in this game. Klay Thompson did not play in Game 3. They're saying he will play in Game 4. However, Kevin Durant has been ruled out. So this, this, 
this is a so this is a serious injury, right? I think we're to the point where we can look at Kevin Durant and maybe wonder if he's going to play at all. He might not. He might he might be done. And it's time for Golden State really to move on as if he is done. You know, if he's ready to play, you obviously put him in. But if you have Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Iguodala, you know, you got to get a mindset that, all right, let's dial it back to before we had Durant, to when we won a championship without Durant. And let's do that. Well, Klay Thompson's going to return uh, for game four tonight. At least that's what they're saying. So uh, Golden State, a four-and-a-half point favorite. I would take Golden State to win the game. I think they even up the series at two tonight. Uh, but whatever does happen in this series, I'll react to it. On Monday, the other story has been, and you you saw me react to this on the YouTube live stream test run that I did yesterday. Again, subscribe, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. But I, I, I talked about the Kyle Lowry situation. Game three in Golden State, Kyle Lowry, end of the game, gets pushed into the stands. And initially, I agreed with Van Gundy on the broadcast when Van Gundy said, you know, what do people want the fan to do? Give Lowry a hug as he comes in full steam and 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 just crushes them in the stands? I agreed with Van Gundy initially. And to be honest, it took me a, a handful of times to watch this video the next day to see where the push from the fan came from. A fan pushed Lowry, if you, if you haven't heard. I mean, you should have heard by now, but if you didn't, here's what happened. Lowry goes in the stands, and a fan pushes him. Lowry got upset, but reacted, kept his cool, and reacted the right way. You know, he didn't pull a Meta World piece. He didn't pull a Rana test and attack a fan and jump into the stands. He didn't do that. He kept playing the game. You know, he had a couple choice words. I think he said something to the ref, like, get this guy out of here. But it took me a couple times to watch this to see where the push came from. Initially, I'm like, agreeing with Van Gundy. I'm like, ah, what do you want the fan to do? Hug him? But then the next day, I watched it, and I finally saw the push. And the push came from a guy that wasn't even, I don't even think Lowry made contact with this guy. And the guy reaches over and pushes Lowry. And that's a no-no. And, and you know, I'm not trying to say that even if he got jumped on, it would have been okay to push Lowry. But I think if you get jumped on by a professional athlete who's coming at you full speed, I think the initial human nature reaction is probably to, like, push the guy off of you. And if that's a situation we're talking about, then I, I'm not going to sit here and get all riled up about it. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't that type of reaction. This was a coward move. And this guy, off to the side, takes advantage of a situation in which a player comes into the stands. And that's a major no-no. It's a coward move. You know, there's part of me that wish... There's part of me that wishes Lowry knocked him in the next week. But I have to credit Lowry for keeping his cool and not just causing a riot in the stands. We know how that's worked and, and how that's gone down. Or should I say not worked, how that's not worked in the past. Um, so credit Lowry for handling it that way. I don't know that I would have. But it turns out this guy who pushed Lowry is a pot owner of the Warriors. Now, he's got a very small stake, I believe, in the team. So he's calling him pot owner, I think, is, is exaggerating a little bit. Though every story you read, it's like, pot owner? You know, sometimes we take words literally. You read the words pot owner on a piece of paper and on a website, and I think all of a sudden we turn this guy into, into somebody maybe he's not. But anyways, any type of stake he has in the team, he's got it. So even more so, you can't push another player. Come on. 
This guy has been banned. Good on Lowry for keeping his cool. It was a coward move. So I get that's all I have to say. Like I think Lowry should be praised for the way he's hand, for the way he handled that situation. There's there's probably a lot of guys who wouldn't handle it like that. <laughs> and and I don't know that I would have handled it like him. So credit to Lowry. Handled it the right way. Toronto wins the game. They're up 2-1. I do think Golden State will leave in the series, though, in this game for tonight. But again, whatever happens, I'll react on Monday. And then to wrap it up, just a couple pieces of news in Major League Baseball and the NFL. In Major League Baseball, the two names that we've been keeping an eye out on are pitches. Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. Keuchel a starter, Kimbrell a reliever. Kimbrell, we know him here in Boston, former closer of the Red Sox, though uh, it was Chris Sale who closed out the World Series in L.A. in October. But um, Kimbrell was holding out, and you wondered where he was going to end up. I didn't close the door on him, ended up back with the Red Sox, but now you can close the door on it because Craig Kimbrell has signed with the Chicago Cubs a three-year deal worth a total of $43 million. That comes out to 14.3 average annual. There's an option on the fourth year, uh, but the way this thing is broken down, Kimbrell with the Cubs, Kimbrell's going to get $10 million this season, and then he's going to get $16 mil in 2020, and then $16 mil in 2021. Uh, the option on the fourth year is a club vesting option with a $1 million buyout. So Kimbrell going to the Cubs, you know, it's tough to knock the Cubs with this move. I mean, if the Red Sox signed Kimbrell, I would say it, it's tough to knock the Red Sox. I mean, good on Kimbrell to sit out almost half the season and get $43 bucks. I mean, good for him. In Dallas Keuchel, he was sitting out, but now he has signed with a team. Dallas Keuchel has signed with the Atlanta Braves. It's a one-year $13 million deal. Dallas Keuchel will get a start in AAA this weekend. So, I, I think they said it's pro-rated 21 mil. One year, 21. Hey, you could sit out almost half the season and then show up and get, you know, show up in the middle of June and get 13 mil. Okay. You know, let's rock and roll. Keuchel, Kimbrell, both now signed. And then I guess we officially turn ahead to the trade deadline this year. But uh, there'll be plenty of time to talk about Major League Baseball, of course. And there'll also be plenty of time to talk NFL. But there is NFL news and there's a, another contract, speaking of contracts and big money, well, the Philadelphia Eagles auditioned out big money to their quarterback. You know, they let Nick Foles, you know, they, they he, Nick Foles goes to Jacksonville. Uh, Nick Foles signed a four-year, $88 million deal with Jacksonville. So they got Carson Wentz. You know, they got to commit to Carson Wentz. And they did. The Eagles signed Carson Wentz to a four-year extension worth a total of $128 million. Four years, $128 million. If you don't have your calculator out, that's $32 million average annual with $108 million guaranteed, $66 million due at signing. It includes, the $108 million guaranteed includes $66 million due at signing. So what are we calling that? $66 million fully guaranteed? Is that what that is? Now, this four-year, $128 million extension for Carson Wentz can increase to a max of $144 million. It can get to a, a four-year deal, $144 million, which is an average annual of $36 million per year. If you take into account the two years he has remaining, Wentz's total deal right now is a six-year deal 
worth 154 mil, six years, 154, which is 26 million average annual, and a max of 170. So the max is six years, 170 mil, which would be 28 million average annual. And uh, when you look at it like that, and you also know that he's your guy, you've committed to him, so you're going to have to commit to the money. And you look around the league at some of the money guys are going to be getting here the next couple years. Money's only going up. As you know, that's the way it works. So for the Eagles, it's like, let's jump on it now. Let's give him big money. I mean, you got no other choice, right? You got no other choice. Now, I I mentioned Foles, Nick Foles, with the Jaguars, a four-year, $88 million deal. That's $22 million a year. Foles is four years older than Wentz. Wentz is 26. He's going to turn 27 late in the season. Late in this next season. Foles, I think, is going to turn 31. So, Foles, four years. Older than Wentz. Um, but, I mean, if you're the Eagles, what other choice do you have? You know, you, you either give him it now, or you wait. And I think if you wait, you're going to have to pay him anyways. And you're probably going to have to pay him more. So, this is one of those, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have to pay him. Do we want to give him a big deal now or have to give him an even bigger deal later? We'll give him the big deal now, right? That's what they did. You know, the concerns would be the injuries. Obviously, Carson Wentz has already dealt, 26 years old, he's already dealt with an ACL injury. He's dealt with back injuries. He's now, you know, had to leave seasons early. And, you know, it's not like his team struggle. You know, the thing that you do have to think, had to think about if you're Philly, I think, is when Wentz has gone down, it's not like his teams have struggled. It's almost as if they've improved. Uh, that's not a knock on Wentz. I don't mean to sit here and, and and I don't mean to make it sound like I'm knocking Wentz. I'm just trying to run through the the options that if you're Philly, before you give him a four-year $128 million extension, possibly four years $144 million extension with $108 million guaranteed, including $66 million due its signing, you know, these are conversations you have to have. All right, we've committed to him. But should we give him one more year before we make him an offer and see where we go with his injuries after another year? I wouldn't think they're crazy if they wanted to do that either. But, I mean, look, knowing the money that's dished out, knowing that money's only increasing, knowing that you don't have foals anymore, and so you fully committed to Wentz. I can understand giving him the big contract now rather than say, well, we're going to have to give him something even bigger next year or the year after that. Right? So they commit to Wentz. Four years, 128 mil. It could be a total of 144. And then finally, another NFL news. The Patriots get their Super Bowl championship rings last night on Thursday night. Robert Kraft at a party at his house. Rob Gronkowski was there. You wonder what the conversations were like because the Patriots did actually just release. They released Safarian Jenkins after they just signed him. It did kind of sound like Safarian Jenkins asked for the release, though. Patriots began their three-day minicamp earlier this week on Tuesday, and Safarian Jenkins was not there, and then the news came out that the Patriots released him. But in that report, at least what I read, I think it was Ian Rappaport, in that report from Rap Sheet, it said that Safarian Jenkins, the tight end, the veteran tight end the Patriots just signed, he needed to go deal with some personal stuff, needed to take a month off, 
And they didn't rule out him returning to the Patriots. So it kind of sounds like he asked for his release and the Patriots granted it to him. I wouldn't rule out Safarian Jenkins returning. As you know, I already have not ruled out Gronk returning. I actually think Gronk is going to play next year. I do. I think he's playing. And he was at this ring ceremony last night with the team. And you know what? I don't know what conversations were had. But I'm sure some were had. And uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, people say, well, Gronk, he keeps telling us he's done. Well, of course he's going to tell you he's done. It's part of the negotiation. Him and Rosenhaus, this, I'm telling you right now, there's something they want, there's something they think they can get, especially if they see the Patriots struggling at the tight end position, struggling offensively, Right? Especially if they see them struggling offensively. So, uh, keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. Well, it's tough to take your eye off the Patriots Super Bowl ring, which they got last night. And I got some interesting details on that. The ring features an average of 416 round diamonds and six Maquis cut diamonds for a carat weight of 8.25 carats. The 20 sapphires weigh 1.60 carats, bringing the total gem carat weight to 9.85 carats. It's the largest Super Bowl ring ever. Crafted in 10-carat gold, it features the Patriots logo brought to life through the custom-cut red and blue stone. 38 diamonds surround the logo with an additional diamond set in the star. The Patriots logo rests atop six Lombardi trophies Set with 123 diamonds, each with a Maki's cut diamond. The trophies on the ring are surrounded by an additional 108 paved set diamonds, which represent the number of practices in the 2018 season. 108 practices, 108 diamonds. 76 diamonds adorn the edges of the ring, completing the intricate design of 20 round blue sapphires, which are emblematic of the Patriots' 20. AFC East Division Championships. Patriots went all out. The largest Super Bowl ring ever. That's what they're saying. Will they get another? That's what we're asking. We'll find out soon enough. A little too early, though, to be going all in on NFL stuff. But I had to talk about the rings. Um, Yeah, they look cool. I mean, whatever I just read, whatever that means, uh, that's something else, I guess. I don't, I I was being somewhat sarcastic reading all that, reading all those details. Um, I read them straight off of ESPN.com, but forget about those details. Just look at the thing. Just look at the thing. They just keep getting bigger and better. And you get something like that on your, on your finger. You know, Brady taking pictures with six rings on his hand, three and three. Yeah, you'd like to get that seventh too, wouldn't you? Patriots staying hungry. They will. Will Gronk stay hungry? I think he will. I think he will. I think we'll see Gronk at some point. Might not be early in the season, but it could be middle to late. Keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. And uh, whatever happens, I'll react to it on this show. Get it. Whenever you want at Podcast One, also on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are available. Again, subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of anything else I missed. Oh, Golovkin. 
Triple G Saturday night. How could I forget this? Kanani Golovkin at Madison Square Garden. You know, I'm a huge Golovkin fan. Coming off that controversial, yeah, I said controversial decision. Uh, two controversial decisions. To Canelo Alvarez. We wonder if there will be a trilogy. I think there will be. It could come this fall. Well, we might see Canelo in the building. Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. Maybe. Triple G versus the undefeated Steve Rolls in New York City. Triple G <laughs> minus 6,250. He is a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite, as he should be. Now, last week on this very show, I told you that Andy Ruiz Jr. has no shot upsetting Anthony Joshua, and I was wrong. Some people have asked, if Steve Rolls beat Triple G, will that be an even bigger upset? Then Andy Ruiz Jr. beating Anthony Joshua? Or is Andy Ruiz Jr. beating Anthony Joshua the biggest upset we've seen in a long time? I will tell you this, and I told you this early in the week. I'm not going to say that Ruiz Jr.'s upset over Joshua last week for the heavyweight championships. I'm not going to say that's as big as Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson in 1990 in Tokyo. I'm not going to say that. Why? Not because it wasn't an upset, but because Anthony Joshua is not and never will be Mike Tyson. But if you tell me Steve Rolls is going to be Triple G on Saturday night, that to me will be closer to a busted Douglas Mike Tyson upset. That will be because Triple G has been one of the best pound-for-pound fighters for a long time. Dominant. Dominant, and if not for a couple screw jobs, a screw job draw, and then a screw job loss via decision to Canelo Alvarez, if not for that, then you know, look, even 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 with that, if you watch this guy fight, if you watch those fights, Triple G will go down as one of the greatest of all time. He will, one of the most dominant of all time, and. If Steve Rolls beat, beats him, I will be shocked. So much more shocked than Ruiz beating Joshua. So much more shocked. Mainly because Triple G and Anthony Joshua don't even, like, I don't even think, they, they're not in the same conversation either. I know they're different weight classes, I get it, but Triple G has just been, you know, as dominant as dominant could be. Canelo was ducking Triple G for a long time. Okay? He was. He was. Now they're both with the zone. They're both on the zone network. So it'll be interesting to see if Canelo is in the building when Triple G beats Rolls. If Canelo maybe walks into the ring, gives us a little drama, a little face to face. You know, as Chris Mannix is going to, who does a great job up there in that ring with the post fight interviews. You know, he, he could, Chris Mannix could be in the middle of a, of a historic photo if, if Canelo walks into that ring. Saturday night after Triple G beats Steve Rolls. But Triple G will beat Steve Rolls. If, and, and if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I will be the most shocked person on the face of the earth. But he won't. Triple G will win that fight. I will react to it all on Monday. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. I'm out. Talk to you soon. <laughs>